Hi, church. Welcome again to our Sunday night teaching time. Renewed in the spirit of your mind, knowing how the life of God gets inside. This is our 11th week, our 11th Sunday night, and the title for tonight is A Spiritually Renewed Mind is Different from Trying to Be a Better Person. Those might be related, but they aren't exactly the same thing, and I think it's important to know the difference. I think there are a lot of Christians who think um, God is going to I don't mean to be irreverent, but God's going to zap a spiritual mind into them. Maybe if they just wait on God enough, if they pray enough, if they, if they try to not do bad things, that their mind will be sort of automatically renewed by God for them. And there's really nothing in the word of God that would encourage that kind of thinking. Here's the text we're looking at tonight. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's, it's, it's in the form of a command, and that's interesting. Be, you, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Last Sunday night, we, we kind of painted the big backdrop for the direct study of these two verses. And I, I made the point that the, the spiritual life, remember, is organic, not external. External is like the decorations on the Christmas tree, things attached from the outside. Organic is the way tomatoes grow on the vine. They're not attached to the plant. They come from the inside. So the Christian life is organic. It's not just a matter of what would Jesus do and I'm going to try and mimic that. It's life inside that works its way out in fruit of holiness. And the second thing we looked at last Sunday night was the work of the Holy Spirit in my life is comprehensive and not just particular. And I know those are big sounding words. I, I just meant by that that Jesus doesn't come to Don Horbin's life just to patch up or repair a problem I have fix something in me. I have a need. I need Jesus to fix that need. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't do wonderful things for us. What I'm saying is the way the Holy Spirit works in my life is comprehensive in that he wants to claim lordship of all of my life, not just fix what might be messed up in my life. So it's, a, it's, it's you've been bought with a price. You are not your own. That's the way the Christian life starts. I'm not perfect right off the bat, but there's no part of my life over which Jesus does not come and say, that's mine, 100%. That's what we looked at. That's what we began studying last Sunday night. I have a few points now as we get more right into Romans 12, 1 and 2. So point number one. 
The renewed mind comes from somewhere. It just doesn't appear as the result of a wish. Look at those words again, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and read them like you haven't read them a million times. I appeal to you, therefore, if I were underlining like I do Sunday mornings, I would underline that word, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. I'm basing my appeal for your renewed mind on your understanding of the mercies of God. The result will be to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Just that first sentence, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. Uh, There's a, a world of hope in that word, therefore. There's a world of instruction there. Therefore means uh, because of this, or in view of this, or as a result of this. In other words, Paul is emphasizing that what he's about to say about renewed minds and presenting our bodies, all of that, everything he's about to say is based on something he has already said. Therefore means, look back at what I've just been talking about. In view of this, I want you to do this. But you won't be able to do this until you look back and see what the therefore is pointing to. He's about to give, in Romans, four and a half chapters of of specific, practical, we'd call it practical instruction about how to live our lives. But he doesn't just give it. He doesn't just start with it. He looks back before he presses into the practical application of what he's about to say. He he tells me something I'm likely to neglect. I might want to just rush on and find out how to be a better person without stopping and looking at the therefore. In view of this, do this. He tells them that there's no way, he's telling me, there's no way these instructions in the rest of the book of Romans, they aren't doable unless you go back to what the therefore is pointing to first. Remember, spiritual life is organic, not just externally trying to fix things up, dress things up. These Roman Christians to whom Paul is writing, they can't just copy the Christian life from Paul or from Jesus or from anyone else. I mean, examples are important, But spiritual transformation has to come from the inside. Well, where will we get these renewed minds? Where will they come from? I mean, if I can't manufacture a new renewed mind, will will Jesus just come and will he just pop a new mind into Don Horbin? Is, Is that how it's going to work? How will this all start to grow and flow in my life? How will it become comprehensive? And organic, well, that's what that word therefore is there for. 
And that one word expresses one of the deadliest mistakes Christians make regarding how their lives are going to be changed. This is important stuff. The practical instruction that Paul gives, Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, all of the practical instruction is based on the doctrinal instruction that the therefore is looking back to in Romans 1 through 11. But here's the thing. Unless I understand this, I'm probably going to think that the first part of the book of Romans, well, that's just the theological stuff. That's just the head stuff. Paul says, don't make that mistake. You can't do Romans 12 through 16 without fully comprehending Romans 1 through 11. All that is bound up in that word, therefore. In view of this, 1 through 11, do this, 12 through 16. But if you leave this out, this isn't on the table. You can't do this. I'm not sure Christians understand that. I think we'd like something quicker, something more dramatic. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, especially with that word, therefore, Paul, Paul is... He's talking to Cedarview Community Church. The life he is calling us to live in Romans 12 through 16, where it's loving people and the gifts and ministering to one another. The life he's calling us to live, it won't just happen. And it won't come from nowhere. It has, it has foundations. It has a source. It has reasons. And, and we have to come back to these if we're going to teach the next generation how to really live for Christ in a fallen culture. You have to have a mind and a heart that is more deeply tethered to the foundational doctrinal truths or you're never going to get a holy life growing. Everybody. Everybody needs to have a good Bible-teaching church, and they need to gather regularly. Everybody. If people, if people don't think right about God and about his word, they can't possibly live right for God. They can be morally good people. They can be nice people, but they can never, ever, ever be godly people. That's why, that's why Paul talks about the last part of verse 2. He talks about this life and he says, it's your spiritual worship. It arises out of something. There, there, there must come a full, rich, warm grasp and love of the goodness, the mercies of God. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that I've been talking about in the first 11 chapters. That's where I base my appeal. Now present yourselves. There is no experience. I speak as a thoroughgoing Pentecostal believer. There is no experience that takes the place of filling the mind with the truth of God and his mercy as revealed in Jesus Christ, his coming, his incarnation, his death on the cross, his ascension, his ministry at the right hand of the Father. 
the, the reality of sin and how Jesus deals with sin. You, you can't live the Christian life until these things are firmly grasped and embedded in your understanding. Without that foundation, we will always be vulnerable and weak in our faith, regardless of how long we've been Christians. We'll be, Paul in Ephesians 4, we're going to be Christians who are tossed to and fro by everything that blows through the church. And man, if we're ever seeing that, it's today. Satan is working his hardest to fill people's minds with false ideas about God. So Paul comes to these Christians and he says, I'm appealing to you, therefore, all that I've been saying about the richness of God's mercy in Christ, Romans 1 through 11. You need to have a good understanding of that because if you don't, you're going to be wide open to deception. Now, here's an example of that. Here's an example of that. Genesis 3, 1 to 5. Look at the, look these verses up in your Bible. This is in the garden, Adam and Eve, the serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first step to spiritual ruin then and now is when you start to look at parts of the Bible that you're not comfortable with and you say, you know, I'm not sure God really meant to say that. And whenever you hear that, and you hear it from a lot of progressive Christian writers these days, whenever you hear that, you ought to think back, oh yeah, that's exactly what the serpent said to Eve. But did God really, do you think he meant that? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God actually didn't say they couldn't touch it. He just said they couldn't eat it. That's that's you got to hold on to what God said. The serpent, verse 4, said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's what I'm trying to point out. Remember, the damage of the fall, that's what we call it, that's affected mankind ever since. It didn't just happen when Adam, when Eve and then Adam ate the fruit. That's not when the damage started. That was the outward expression of the damage that was already done by the serpent in Eve's mind. The damage was done in her thinking. The fruit of that damage was partaking of the fruit. Satan changed the way they thought about God. He changed what was going on in their minds. The disobedience was the result. No wonder Paul comes and he says, there is, listen, there is a fall-reversing process. Now, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to fix this. It comes through the renewing of the mind. We are to fill our lives with the beautiful truth, the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. His mercy toward us. We're to so saturate our lives with truth that 
buffs up and shines the glory of God in Christ. That's why in future weeks, we'll see, Paul calls this out, the outward actions. He doesn't just call them deeds. He's very careful. What he calls them is our spiritual worship because they're coming from a renewed mind, full of love, full of devotion, full of a pursuit of God's glory, not just, remember, external changes, the not just fixing some little mistake that I've got. The whole motive is being renewed. John says his commandments aren't a burden. They aren't a chore because, oh, our minds have been renewed. How have they been renewed? We have been focusing intently on God's mercies in Christ Jesus. Then the Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, with all the instructions, it's not just works. It's not just a list. It's coming from a life... God's mercies are so rich, so beautiful. I, I want I want my life to be shaped like this. But it's not a burden. It's a delight. Took a long time with that. Point number two. There is a practical manifestation to an inwardly renewed mind. People who have lives filled up with the abundance of Romans 1 through 11, the mercies of God, they are prepared. They're made ready to carry out the practical instructions of Romans 12 through 16. They're ready because, well, as they've been filling up their minds with a deep understanding of the mercies of God, their lives are bursting with a desire to please God. They, People with renewed minds, hear me, church, people with renewed minds Never bother asking the questions, why can't I see that movie? Why can't I go to that party? Why can't I date that non-Christian person? Why do I have to go to church so much? All of those questions reveal an unrenewed mind. We have to train people to think more deeply and biblically about these things. Even in the eyes of the world, we will always appear small and out to lunch if we're merely perceived as being against doing bad things. Why don't you do this? Well, it's against my religion. Boy, that's going to make them want to jump in with both feet. We will never be convincing in our arguments against worldly tastes, and worldly ambitions until we teach people to ask the right questions. The issue isn't, what's wrong with this? Why can't I do that? Why do I have to do this? Let me tell you the kind of questions that people with renewed minds ask. Here are the kind of questions. People with renewed minds, they ask these questions. How can I show the beauty of Jesus in this activity? How can I act to show all my friends that I treasure Jesus more than any pleasure in this world? How can I prove to the world that Christ calls me to lay down my life for him today? What will stand out about my calling to be a servant and a pilgrim in this world as I take up my cross and follow Christ? How can I show people today that my citizenship is in heaven and not of this earth? See, 
people with renewed minds, they ask those questions. Because that's where their hunger leads them. But you can't make people think like that. You can't make people ask those questions. It's only as people learn to treasure the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, therefore, by the mercies of God. Then he says, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. No, you don't start with presenting the body. You start with fixing the mind. How does that happen? You focus on the mercies of God. You study and ingest and memorize and pray over the mercies of God in Romans 1 through 11 and other parts of your New Testament as well. Only lazy minds will find the mercies of God boring. Minds being renewed through the Uh, blazing, revealed glory of God's mercy and glory in Christ Jesus, that they don't find the things of the Spirit boring. They find Hollywood boring. They find celebrities boring. They find cars boring. They find fashion boring. They find sports boring. They find wealth boring. But the the, the, the untarnished, never-to-be-drained, glorious mercy of God in Christ, they find that beautiful. Don't set your mind on things that depreciate, like the tin and the plastic in your BMW or the wealth that you have to leave as soon as you die or the scores of trends that will be totally different next year. No. Paul says we need to be totally transformed away from all of that mixed-up, shallow thinking by the renewing of our minds around the mercy of God in Christ. That's what Jesus meant. It's exactly what Jesus meant in John 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth. Here's the thing, and it'll start to set you free. It'll set you free. Point number three. We're almost done. What does all this mean to the average churchgoer today? I think it's time we honestly admit that we see more and more uh, misfires in conversions to Christ today. We have more and more people professing something about Christ who are living lives contrary to Christ. We have more and more people who say they love Jesus, but they can't be bothered going to church consistently and joyfully. I have my own view as to why this is happening. I mean, we we talk and sing about loving Jesus more than we ever have in the history of the church. And yet, for so many Christians, they're finding it harder and harder to turn away from the things that we know secretly we find more exciting than the things of the Spirit. And then we hate ourselves for this kind of duplicity and hypocrisy. I think there's a reason for this, and I think it's in today's text. I would submit to you that many churchgoers are trying to do the impossible today. They're trying to do the impossible. And and many of them, their church isn't even confronting them with the truth. The mind has to be renewed and captured by the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. 
I don't just mean John 3.16, God so loved the world, Jesus came, died for us. I don't mean that. The, the, whole, the value system that's orbed around the glory of God, not the fulfilling of my own desires. The, the idea that, the idea that uh, Christian truth is revealed truth. It's not popular vote truth. The idea that sin has affected all of our, all of our lives, uh, the, the mercy of God that comes, it comes to meet a particular need. And the need is we are all affected by sin in our thinking and in our lives. This is what I mean by the mercies of God. It, it's the whole thing, the whole package of understanding our need and what God has done for us in Christ, understanding it in depth. People aren't as interested in that anymore. They don't want to go to church as often anymore. When they do go to church, they don't want the sermons too long. They don't want them too deep. The average churchgoer wants to have a happy marriage, desperately wants his children to do well in school, marry a Christian partner when they grow up, stay out of trouble with sex and drugs, and generally love Jesus. In fact, the average churchgoer wants more for his kids of Christ's life than they want for themselves forgetting that kids aren't going to make it on just instruction. They need to see what mom and dad love and prize, not just what they say. And here's the bad news. If Paul is right, then many churchgoers are wrong. They want more and more of the good life. They want their prayers answered. They want their kids godly. They want their homes sound and moral. But they want to ground their own lives in costly spiritual disciplines, less and less. The average, the average Christian is going to church about 60 to 70% less than a generation ago, but still wants the same thing out of it. Add to that the disturbing trend in religious books telling believers that they don't need to work very hard at anything Christian that the traditional church is just out to lay a guilt trip on people, that as long as they spend quality time with their family on Sunday, that's just as pleasing to God as going to church. And they can't figure out where their lives are coming up empty. So please, church, remember this key point from today's, tonight's teaching. God calls us to give him a life of devotion, separation, and loving passionate obedience to him. True enough, all of my behavior, emotions, plans, and thoughts are to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. But this renewal isn't accident. Isn't an accident. It's not just that the Holy Spirit comes and zaps a new mind into Don Horban. It will come. Beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies, by the mercies of God. It comes from understanding, treasuring, the mercies of God in Christ Jesus, and all that that implies. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free, okay? Because of what I know to be true about Christ, I speak this way and not that way. Because of what I know to be true about Christ, I think this way and not that way. Because of what I know to be true of Christ, I cultivate this activity and put to death that kind of activity. Because I exist to glorify Christ and I'm not my own, I watch and listen to this on on TV or on Netflix or on my computer and not that. 
Because my whole life is joined to Christ at every point, I date this kind of person and never that kind of person. Because I'm a pilgrim here on this earth and only for a short while. And because I am awaiting Christ's return, I do my business this way and not that way. That's the call of the Spirit. Hear it more deeply than you've heard it before. Last quote. Ephesians 4, 21 to 23 Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. You don't, you don't start with putting off the old self. Assuming that you have heard about him, we're taught about him. It's, the mind gets renewed first. Then, to put off the old self, 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. A renewed mind comes from somewhere, not from nowhere. And where it comes from is more and more and more time individually and corporately, studying the mercies of God. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Get that renewed mind. Get that renewed mind. Let it be shaped and formed day by day. Don't forget we have two weekly gatherings all together so far, just two. It'll change. going to change soon. Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Wednesday, this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, here at the church. What comes to your mind when you think about God? There'll be study notes. There's children's ministries. Crowds are starting to grow again. It's a good, good thing. God bless you, church. Have a renewed mind and love one another.